0: Hey, I'm so ready to take care of business today. Moving into the last quarter of the year, here we are. Wow, this has been a wild year, but you still got time to accomplish something significant. Things are coming back around. Time to um, reassess what you want to accomplish this year. A lot of people have moved forward regardless. Hey, we got some great questions today. Dan, what are three actions to fast track my new business? Now, I'll tell you exactly what that person is wanting to do But the principles are the same. If you got a business you want to get off the ground, stick around. I'm going to tell you those three actions to take right out of the gate. What's the best way to own a domain so I don't have to pay annual fees? Dan, I have a daughter who currently attends college but seems uncertain about what subject she is studying, what direction she's going. What advice can you offer? Well, we'll have fun with that one. Dan, I want to switch to real estate, but I don't know how to sell. How can I learn that? Ooh great questions. Love those. Love what we're going to be able to unpack here today. Got some good news for you, some tips some resources as well. Quotation today comes from Viktor Frankl, who said, as you hopefully recognize the name, is the author of Man's Search for Meaning, written after his experience in the concentration camps, recognizing that Everything could be stripped away from you except your attitude. Anyway, Viktor Frankl said, when we are no longer able to change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. Mm -hmm. Thus, the tie-in with the leading question today, should I change myself or change my job? All right. Well, our resource then is, you can go to 48days.com slash questions, and I've got eight questions there to ask yourself to mine your own acres of diamonds eight questions to kind of uncover the opportunities that exist in your life. So again, just go to 48days.com slash questions for that resource. Let's talk about some good news. You know, we just passed this last week, World Gratitude Day. Should have done something to celebrate. Of course, I celebrate every day. As you know, if you've been listening, I carry a gratitude stone in my pocket, so every time I reach in my pocket during the day, it reminds me to express gratitude for something. But Monday, September 21st, just passed, was actually World Gratitude Day. People in our Eagles community, like Marianne Renner, she's kind of become a gratitude coach, I think, but uh, she says, here's some ideas to show gratitude. Message three people with a special note of gratitude. Buy a stranger a cup of coffee. Share a moment of gratitude with your significant other or kids. Great tips. A lot more there. You know, I got to looking at some of the there. There are special days for everything. My goodness, I mean, if we kept track of all of them, I mean, I'm sure there's a special day for eating bananas. But uh, October second, the day this is released, if you're listening, is World Smile Day. That's kind of a cool thing. I got to look at some of the other celebrations coming up. This is kind of maybe off track, but it got my attention. October 2nd is also name your car day. Now, who would have thought there was a name your car day? Well, <laughs> there is. And Are, are you somebody who, who does name your cars or your boats? I mean, I mean, boats we see a lot where people do, you know, they put a name on it. <clears throat> and a lot of those are kind of fun to, to check out as you're walking along the harbor somewhere. But naming cars? Now that kind of strikes a note with me. I, I enjoy cars and I enjoy the idea of naming cars. So things like but remember some of the some of the great ones, like from some of the movies. Lightning McQueen. You remember that one? Well, that was from the movie Cars. How about Herbie? Some of you are old enough to remember Herbie from The Love Bug. Of course, um, The Dukes of Hazard. Now you may be ahead of me already here. What was what was the name of that? Wild orange Mopar car that they drove. What well, was a General Lee? We had the Mirthmobile from Wayne's World. And then, of course, one of my favorites from Gone in 60 Seconds. Remember that special Mustang Nicolas Cage drove? What was the name? Eleanor. Well, anyway, October 2nd is Name Your Car Day. Let me know what you named yours and why. There's some guidelines for how you, if you look at that, they're actually guidelines. I mean, you don't want to name a sleek, you know, real exotic car, you know, Bob or something like that. You know, you, you want to come up with a name that matches the personality of you and both your car. So let me know what you go, where you go on that. Well, a couple of good news notes here, and then we'll move into the questions. Here's a generous boss who gave $12.7 million to his staff. I mean, he was retiring after many years of service and leaving his company, and he had made a lot of money, and so he gave you know, $12.7 million. He was the chief executive of Admiral. It was a England-based motor insurance company. He's been running since back in 2004. Anyway, cool kind of thing. Everybody got a chunk of money because he gave away over $12 million to his employees. Here, a customer raises huge $12,000 tip to give his favorite pizza delivery man. Now, here's the deal. Carlos Valdez lives in Roy, Utah, and he and his wife have a standing order with pineapple on their pizza from Papa John's, and they always would ask as well for their favorite delivery man. The guy's name is Derlin Newey. Well, Derland Newey is 89 years old. He's a pizza delivery guy. Well, he always has a positive attitude. When you open the door, he says, hey, are you looking for some pizza? So they were really taken in with his charming manner. And they just thought, you know, this is pretty tough for a guy 89 years old to still be out here hustling pizzas to, to add to his meager social security income. So they got together with some neighbors who also use the same pizza place, went together and they raised 12,000 bucks and just gave it to him as a gift. Now, you know, I mean, that's just a cool kind of thing to do. The kind of thing that a lot of you, again, listening, you could do something like that, put together just a simple idea to show gratitude to somebody. Well, here's one more and then we'll move on. There's a couple that left a $2,020 tip for a single mom waitress. Now you may be familiar with this. This has been going on all year. This is a 2020 tip challenge. So there are some people who gave two thousand twenty dollars as a tip. Some who gave a lot of people who gave twenty dollars and twenty cents as a 2020 tip. So you can leave your, you know, leave what you did at the 2020 tip challenge. There's ongoing sites about that. But this is pretty cool. The 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 bill came to twenty three dollars and thirty three cents, and. The couple that she was serving left her $2,000, $2,020 more. Of course, it was a big boost forward for her, but just fun kind of things, certainly the kind of thing that that you can do. Uh, Joanne and I have been extra generous during this period of time, especially to waiters and waitresses, because we know that their, their income has been way down. There are times when the restaurant may be closed, and then you have half capacity and all that. And uh, so we want to be generous and trust that you are as well. All right, let's go into some questions. We'll start right off with this from Alonzo, who will in with, should I change myself or change my job? Now, that may be something you're thinking as well. Should you change yourself or change your job? I mean, that's a great question. And, and really, that's an option for anybody who's not happy with what they're doing. And we have countless stories about people who changed themselves, stayed in the job they had, and all of a sudden discovered that, hey, the job really isn't, isn't too bad at all. And I worked with a advertising executive a couple of years ago. He was doing extremely well, paid extremely well, and he was just so burned out, he said, I just can't take this anymore. Well, we started to unpack what his options are, and it turns out he simply had not been able to say no he, everybody loved him at work, and so they just kept piling work on. Well, he was so overloaded, so overwhelmed, he thought the only option was to just leave and go do something else. Well, we started stripping away the things that he had said yes to that he shouldn't have. He went back to his boss and made an argument for going back to our reasonable 40 hours a week, which his boss said, geez, you know, we wondered when you were going to cry uncle. He did that and got his life back. He started playing the cello again. He took over the library at their church. He started going to sporting events with his little boy. I mean, remember all those details really clearly because it was such a dramatic turnaround. And it was still the same job he had. But he went back to define and put some boundaries around what that job was. Anesthesiologists were the same kind of thing. He had become so distracted with all the other things he was doing, committees and all that, it began to compromise his work. And he got a couple poor performance reviews from other partners in the practice. And I said, my goodness, you know, do you still, do you you want to get out of medicine? I mean, we can find a way for you to get out. Well, as it turned out, again, he enjoyed what he was doing. That wasn't the issue at all he needed to have some new parameters about how he was doing his work. Well, anyway, let's go back to Alonzo's question. He said, I wanted a couple of viewpoints regarding a conundrum I'm currently facing. I'm experiencing burnout on my job, feelings of anxiety and dread that manifest themselves physically in my gut and as mild panic attacks. I have too many things on my plate with too many priorities and projects. This doesn't... S- seem that will change in the near future, and my current role has been like this for the past two years. I believe my personality type and skills are not a good fit for the role. On one side, there's finding a way to change myself so I perceive things differently and keep going at it. On the other, there's extracting myself from the situation, meaning quitting and finding something else I'm happy with. What are your thoughts about both options, and is there another option inside this spectrum that I'm not seeing? I'm currently debt-free, have money saved up to last me around a year, so the financial piece is not of immediate concern. Well, your, your initial question is a great one, Alonzo, and the answer is going to have to come from you. I mean, You're going to have to take a fresh look at, is this work a fit for you or not? Now, you also say in more content that I got here from Alonzo that uh, you're a musician, you love music. You'd like to be doing something in that arena? Well, if you can figure that out, if you can figure out how to have that blend of talent, passion, and money, then certainly music seems to be your first choice. If you have a hard time creating an economic model, a model by which you could make money with your music, that's okay. A lot of people enjoy music as a hobby, as a sideline, but they never intend to have that be the full provider of their income, and rightfully so. So if that's the case, then certainly you need a daytime job, something that you're doing. But that ought, ought to be something that you enjoy, not just something where you bite the pill every morning because you have to go do it. No, it still ought to be something that you would enjoy doing. So it's probably time to take a fresh look again at who you are. What are your skills and abilities, your personality tendencies, your values, dreams and passions? So that you really get a clear sense of who you are and then see, can this job work? Can this job fit? Can it be that ongoing daily vehicle that provides good income for you, gives you a lot of gratification? You feel like you're doing something meaningful. And it also then allows you to spend your other discretionary time in music. Some of the questions you might ask yourself is, you know, if if you did not have this job today, is it one that you would apply for? How good are you at what you're presently doing? I mean, how do other people evaluate? in that how well do you stand up against the work of others in your field you know have you taken time to really learn about your profession what you're doing now is there a way that you can increase your service there now if you're getting you know no 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 on these then certainly it's time to do a job search and move into something else but look at yourself you're going to be the key. We can't look in from the outside and make the determination of whether you should stay or whether you should change yourself or change your job. Love the question. Golly, love love the layout. That's a great kind of setup for that is to ask yourself that question. Should I change myself or change my job? Well, the music reminds us we're not getting ready to finish. We're getting ready to go into a whole bunch more questions. But just a reminder, these are real questions. You can submit one as well. You can submit your your challenge, your tip for others, or your success story. But shoot those in to me at askdan at 48days.com. And the easiest way is just send me an email at askdan at 48days.com. So Aaron says this. Um she asked, gotta find the rest of her question here. Okay. The niche for my coaching is educators who are looking to use their skills in new and profitable ways. My clients range from novice teachers to teachers getting ready to retire or those who have recently retired. Uh, I'm disc certified through 48 days. I've also had several speaking gigs. You could say that I'm my own guinea pig. As I'm transitioning to full-time entrepreneur through coaching and your multiple streams of income model, I am employed by a school system but I'm in a position that's less than ideal. This year will be my last year as an employee. I must admit I've been playing at it for too long, need to launch in a big way. What are the top three actions that are essential to fast-tracking my business so this goal becomes a reality? All right, Aaron, great question. And oh my gosh, I don't know of a more appropriate time than right now to be showing teachers and educators new options. My goodness. I mean, I had some university speaking uh, speaking opportunities ar- uh, set up, which are not going to happen, even though schools are technically open again, colleges. But what they found in giving students so much time off, when they opened the doors again, students didn't come back. There's a whole lot of college students that didn't go back, even as campuses are opening up again. And there's a whole lot of high school, middle school, grade school teachers who are still trying to teach from home and recognizing the model really isn't, is pretty clunky, doesn't work for them. So there's a lot of teachers that are looking for some new options. So if you're going to coach them, help them use their skills in new and profitable ways, wow, what a great timing to choose right now. So here are the steps. I'm going to give you three steps as you ask for. Number one, clarify your value proposition statement. And you can do that in a three-part sentence now this and then the thing is, you know, if you're listening and you're not interested and you're not going to be teaching teachers, but you're starting a business, the process is exactly the same. Whatever you want to start in your business, these are three steps that'll get you out of the gate and run it. Number 1, clarify your value proposition statement. And again that three-part sentence is this: I help blank do no understand blank so they can blank. You complete those blanks. I help do know and understand, so they can. You've got your value proposition statement. You need to be clear on that. If you're not clear on that, certainly your clients, prospects, and customers are not going to be. So clarify, what is it that you're going to do? How do you stand out? What's unique about you? So put that in that three-part sentence. Number two, clarify your products or services. I mean, in this case, do you have a 30-day coaching package? Do you have a six-month process? Do you have a book? A course? a full day workshop, a seminar. Are you going to do a live event next year? I mean, what is it that you're going to offer where educators could come and access your unique knowledge in that arena? So clarify that. And there ought to be multiple things. I mean, it can be one-on-one coaching, but then you ought to very quickly start to look for, okay, what could I add to that that would allow me to leverage my information so I'm not just in a time and effort model? And then number three, well, actually, I'm going to give you four, four steps here. Let, let me do that because I want to insert this one. So the next step, step three, create a financial model. What would it look like if you were doing one-on-one coaching, if you were doing a live workshop, if you had a course, a seminar, a book, if you had a membership community, if you were doing live events? I mean, create a model for all those things, what that can look like, and go ahead and put in financial projections for twenty twenty one. That'll really make it come alive when you start to see. Okay, if you want to generate sixty thousand dollars in speaking, as an example, you said you had several paid speaking gigs. If you want to generate sixty thousand dollars next year, all right, what are you going to charge? I mean, if it's if you are going to charge, you know, five thousand dollars, that'd be twelve. If you are going to charge, you know, twenty five hundred, it'd be twenty four. I mean, just go ahead and create a model so it really becomes real for what it is that you're going to do in that arena. So we've got clarify your value proposition statement, clarify your products or services, then develop a financial model. And then the fourth one is marketing. What are you going to do to let people know? A lot of people stop before they get to this one. They have a great website. They are clear on what their products and services are, and they're sitting there waiting for the phone to ring or for money to show up in their bank account, and it's not going to happen. What are you going to do to let people know what it is that you have to offer? Are you going to do a blog twice a week? Are you going to start your own podcast? Are you going to really ramp up looking for those speaking opportunities so you're speaking once a week? Are you going to uh, contact referral sources? I mean, who could send you discouraged educators? A whole lot of people, but you know, are you going to get the referral sources? Are you going to focus on being a podcast guest? If you have a really clear, compelling story to tell, I mean, that's certainly a possibility. And you might add 800 new educators to your personal email list from one interview that you do. You can have your own radio program. Not very complicated, to have your own radio program if you, you want to do that. Now, that usually has a small geographic reach, but if you want to focus on your own hometown, that would be a possibility. You could be a great guest for civic groups where you talk to the Rotary Club. There are professionals in there. They know educators who are struggling. And if you have a compelling story, again, a presentation, that could be what you do. But those are the steps. So again, no matter what it is you have to do, in your case, Aaron, if you want to develop your coaching business, Review your value proposition statement, clarify your product or service, create a financial model, and then decide what you're going to do in marketing. Those are four steps. I give you a bonus. You ask for three. Those are four. And that'll work no matter what kind of business you have. Let's go on. Michael says, really enjoy your podcast. I don't know if you've ever addressed this before. What's the best way to purchase a web domain? Do you ever own it or are you just renting it by the year? When I look at buying a domain on sites like GoDaddy, it always says cost per year. Can they continue to raise the cost every year? Where can you purchase the domain outright? I take it that's what you and others like Michael Hyatt have done. I don't want to start building an online presence and then have the web domain held by another company with no control over the future of that domain. Your insight would help as I'm ready to start my blog, but I want to do it right and keep my domain name. Thank you, Mike. Well, Mike. I have uh, good news and bad news. (laughs) The the bad news is you don't own it. But now here's why. And and the good news is you can protect a name. My goodness, I've had 48days.com for years and years and years and a whole lot of others as well. Those are mine. They're as protected as anything can be. And yes, I do pay every year. Even even though it is that specific, it's 48days.com. I mean, nobody else in the world has that it's mine i've trademarked that all that but i still pay every year for that for the right to use that domain it's because you have to have it plugged in somewhere i mean it's like having a blender sitting on your on your on your counter you own the blender it's yours but it doesn't work unless you have an electrical outlet to plug it into that's really the best kind of visualization i can give you for what a domain is It's yours, you own it, but it doesn't mean anything unless you have it hosted somewhere where everything connected with that then has a system that it can flow through. Now, again, I'm not a tech guy, but I hope that helps you a little bit understand and be comfortable, just go ahead. I mean, you can be very comfortable with that. GoDaddy is where I have all my domain names. I usually have about 75 or so of those that I'm kind of uh, hanging on to. Uh, some I every every year when they come up for renewal, then I evaluate: Do I want to keep this or do I not? So that that's the way that that whole thing works. We don't see any change coming in the near future. All right. Let Teresa says I have a daughter who currently attends college but seems uncertain about what subject she's studying and what direction she's going. What advice can you offer? My advice is let her experiment. Let her be uncertain. Let her let her. Get her fingers into all kinds of different arenas. I mean, recently on here, I talked about the, the distinction between the 10,000 hours that was popularized by Malcolm Gladwell in his book, David and Goliath, and then the book more recently called Range where it said in the 10,000 hours, the theory is unless you start something really young and really focused on it, I mean, you're never going to be a great violin player or golfer unless you start when you're three years old, you know, and do nothing else. That's kind of the 10,000 hours thing because it implies, I mean, even 40 hours a week, we're talking five years to get to that point. If you're spending 20 hours a week on something, it's going to be 10 years. So you can do the math of that, but, but that's been dismantled a lot. I mean, that theory holds up if you want to be Yo-Yo Ma, you know, if you want to be the Beatles or if you want to be Tiger Woods. But if you want to be in the top 80% of people, I mean, the top 20, better than 80% of people in a particular arena, you can get there pretty quickly if you're really focused on it. There's a popular YouTube video out there that says it takes 20 hours to get to that top 20% in pretty much anything you want to do. If it's learning a language or learning a software program or golfing or playing tennis, 20 hours of deliberate practice, you can get there. Now, back to your question. I kind of went on a goose trail there, Teresa. Your daughter's uncertain. I don't care if she's a freshman or a a senior. Now, if she's a senior, she's going to have to pick something. And a lot of people pick mass communication or general studies, or there's a whole English lit. There's a whole lot of things people choose when they aren't sure what they want to do, but they have to have something that they declare as a major just to get out the door. But the reality is going to college is for personal growth experience. Rarely does it lock somebody into a career path from which there's no escape. And we know that 10 years after graduation, 80% of college graduates are working in something totally unrelated to their college degree. Your daughter's going to have time to make other decisions Don't be too concerned about what she majors in. I mean, sure, she ought to be able to get, be starting to get some kind of clarity about what she's most interested in, what she's most gifted in, and move in that direction. But chances are, she's going to change again anyway. If she went right into college from high school, you're still talking, you know, very young I mean, 21, 22 years old, coming out of college. I mean, that's really young to be able to figure out what it is you're going to do for the rest of your life. So just be comfortable with the fact that she can experiment with a lot of things and get that degree, get out in the real world. A couple of years of real world experience is going to give her a lot more clarity about what she's going to want to do ultimately than being in college will. All right, this comes from Phil, who says... I've climbed the ladder of success in my current industry, but I think the ladder may be leaning on the wrong wall. I wrote out my ideal day, and it looks nothing like what I'm doing now. It's almost the complete opposite. Is this common? Is this just a reaction to my current situation, or could I really be that far off course? (laughs) Well, Phil's, the, the metaphor that he uses there, I think the ladder may be leaning on the wrong wall. That comes from Stephen Covey in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, we said a lot of people do that. You know, they choose something in college as an example. They choose a major. Gee, they go on to law school. They get their you know JD behind their name. So now they're an attorney, and all of a sudden they're forty two years old and they're thinking, "Geez, I don't want to do this. This negative, acrimonious environment. I don't want to do this. I need to do something else." Even when they're ready to be partner, I mean, we have tons of people in the. 48 days community who were attorneys and at some point decided, eh, I don't want to do this anymore. Now, a lot of them were able to leverage things they had done successfully in the field of law into the new whatever it is that they chose to do. I mean, Anna Powers was good at writing depositions as an attorney. She now is a copyright coach. Now, meaning, Now, copyright probably, uh, maybe I misused it in that kind of sentence, but she helps people with their copy, with writing copy that is compelling. So that kind of copywriting. Um, Nick Pavlidis is a ghostwriter. Again, used to helping people tell their stories in court. Now he does that in books and is cranking out. Amazing books that are bestsellers by helping people really formulate their story well. So it's not unusual for somebody to get to a particular point in life. Phil, I don't know how old you are, but to decide, I'm not sure I want to do this. And that's true for dentists, physicians, attorneys, pastors, engineers, accountants. I mean, it's, don't don't feel embarrassed or shame yourself. There are things you can do to redirect. But this is a time where it's not a matter of just following the trends. Gee, what's hot now? Who's hiring? What are the greatest you know, career paths? No, it's not that at all. It's to take a breath, draw that line in the sand, and look at yourself. Again, as I clarify in 48 Days to the Work You Love, 85% of the process of having a confidence of proper direction comes from looking inward. So this is a time, look inward then see, does that line up with the work that you're doing now? If it doesn't, define what it does line up with. Now, the real strength, the confidence comes from knowing what you're moving to. See, there's a lot of people who are frustrated in what they're doing. They're discouraged. They're resentful. They're angry, depressed, guilty, whatever, all those negative emotions. That's because they feel trapped in what they're doing and they're looking backward at what's already happened. And until you get past that, you're going to have those feelings of being trapped and discouraged. When you get clear about what you're moving to, that's when you get an outburst of boldness, confidence, enthusiasm, and those negative emotions begin to diminish very quickly. So just take a fresh look at what you would move to in an ideal situation. And if there's enough dissonance with what you're doing now, then absolutely redirect. It doesn't matter where you are. You know, I talk to 27-year-olds who feel like they're trapped because of what they majored in college. I'm like, goodness, you can change four times if you want to. I mean, I work with physicians, you know, who are 53 years old and say, the way medicine's changed, I don't want to do this anymore. This is not what I signed up for. I talk to pastors who, even with this recent crisis, are saying, I thought I was secure in what I was doing, and now I realize that was just an illusion. People who haven't been in church for a while may not come back. And as they're not coming to church, they may feel like they got a pass. They got a bye week on tithing rather than just doing it electronically. They just didn't do it at all. So we've got pastors saying, gee, what else can I do? So there's plenty of time to redirect in your career, no matter where you are. The key is, do you feel off track in what you're doing currently? If you do, then absolutely make a change. Doesn't matter if you're 18 or 68. All right. Well, let me grab a couple more here. Steve says, I've been an electromechanical technician for the last 30 years, but now at my age, I'm getting to where I can't do the things I used to. I would try sales, but I don't know how to show transferable skills in my resume and show past employment that doesn't look like a technician resume. All right. Well, a, a couple things on this. And then I got another one here. You know, I've got another question here that I'm going to include in part of this because the guy wants to start in real estate, but doesn't have background in real estate. So it's very similar to your question, Steve. So a couple things. For one thing, sales is the greatest transferable skill that anybody has ever had. So even if you've been an electromechanical technician for the last 30 years, you know, you can talk on a resume about the way that you've interacted with people, the way that you've generated new accounts, the way that you've serviced accounts. Those are all things that require skills that would relate to selling. But the bottom line is a whole lot of companies out here who are hiring, who are eager to bring people on board, don't even care about getting a resume. You hear me every once in a while on here, I give an update on all these major companies that are saying, eh, we don't really care if a person has a resume or not. I mean, companies like Microsoft and Google and so on, they're saying a resume doesn't really show us that somebody would be competent doing what we need them to do. We want to see what they've done in the last six months. We want to see a project they've worked on. We want to know what they're doing on social media. We want to know what groups they're involved in. So you can strengthen your positioning by being active in some of those things. But if you can talk well, if you have the skills identified in how to win friends and influence people, as an example, that'd be a great place to start a great book to read is to understand those principles. If you really live out those principles, you're going to have people that want to hire you for sales. It doesn't matter if you're starting today in that arena. Well, great question. Let me include the next one here. Uh, This comes from Daniel, who says, I've been with the same company for seven years as a quality assurance clerk. The work is mundane and the leadership in the office is weak. After listening to you, Tony Robbins, Les Brown, and Zig Ziglar, I realize that I've been depositing my faith and belief in the wrong place by not putting those things into myself. One of your past blog posts come to mind, hourly pay will keep you poor. I'm ready to make a change. I want to switch to real estate. I don't know how to sell, but I know I can learn and we'll be great at it. What people, books, and resources can I get invested in to learn the craft of selling? Well, Daniel, I love your approach. And yes, I, I love your belief that you can learn how to sell. We hear the old I don't know, the old mantra all the time, you know, just not a natural born salesman. I could never sell. Well, nobody's a natural born. You don't come out of the womb as a natural born brain surgeon or a plumber, electrician or truck driver. You learn those things. And the same thing is certainly true of selling. And you can absolutely learn how to do it well. And again, you know, no matter what your personality style is, you can learn how to sell as it relates to your personality style. I mean, you can learn, well, as an example, let's say that you're a high S person, meaning you're you're very loyal, you're compassionate, understanding, good listener, you know, help people, want to help people, so you're a high S. That may not work real well for real estate or cars or furniture or jewelry. But it may work great for something where you don't have, you know, where, where you're going to do a presentation. Let's say that, so as a high S, instead of real estate, you're going to be selling printing machines. Now these are real high-end printing machines, you know, that start at a hundred thousand dollars. All right. Who are you going to be calling on? You're going to be calling on printing offices, printing companies. So the market is really clearly defined. It's not going to be any surprise when you show up, you've got a real technical machine where you do a very detailed proposal to them on how this would give them a return on their investment. See, all those things, those are very different than selling like cars or furniture where it's, hey, how are you doing today? You want this or not? No, it's very, very different. So you may take six months to make a proposal. They take three months to consider it and then make that $100,000 purchase. That's a very different selling process than somebody who's real outgoing, gregarious, social kind of person. So you can match the kind of selling you do to the personality that you have, what you know about yourself. So let me go back to your question here. Um, so Daniel, you, asked, you said, I want to switch to real, selling real estate. Don't know how to sell. Well, let me just give you some resources that you can use and you can become, if you go through these books that I'm going to give you, and that's really what I would, that's the fastest way to learn and to learn accurately how to do it. Gary Keller, the one thing. Now, Gary Keller is the founder of Keller Williams, you know, the massive real estate company. So he shares in there what makes people in his company really successful. So Gary Keller, the one thing. Zig Ziglar, secrets of closing the sale. There's nothing that I would put above that if you want to learn how to sell well. And there's a new version of that that was done with uh, Kevin Harrington, uh, one of the sharks that I just recently had on the podcast here with me, one of the original sharks on Shark Tank. And so there's an updated version of that that Kevin did along with Tom Ziegler, uh, Zieg's son, Secrets of Closing the Sale. So that's number two. Number three, Brian Tracy, The Psychology of Selling. That's, a, that's an old resource, it's been around a while, but I, it's one of those foundational ones. The psychology of selling, understanding the mind of the person that you're working with. And then Tom Hopkins, I'll give you just one more. There's certainly a lot on Tom Hopkins has a book, Mastering the Art of Selling Real Estate. Tom Hopkins, again, one of the greats in the selling arena, and a book specifically geared toward real estate. So you do those. I'll put those in the show notes so you got an overview of those four books that I'm recommending. But you go through those, you can skyrocket to the top 2% of real real estate selling people. Because frankly, a lot of people in real estate have never studied how to sell well. They're just nice people. They're what I call professional visitors. You know, we, we've met some of those people and again, they're wonderful. They'll show you properties all day long and they'll never ask you to, you know, do what do you have to, you know, what has to be in place for you to make a decision? Are you, if, if you were ready to make a decision today, would this be the house you'd want to buy? You know, they don't ask closing questions. They just let you look and browse around. Well, you can, you can bypass those people in a heartbeat if you study. How to become good at selling. And you can do that in 30 days. I mean, 30 days you immerse yourself in this content. You can come out the other side, be a superstar in real estate. Give me an update, let me know how that works. I'd love to get that update. Well, Melanie says, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna end with this one, but I want to unpack this a little bit because it addresses some really common questions that I get being an author and loving to work with authors. Melanie says, I've heard you say you've written book review request before in your podcast. I'd love to have a preface written for the front of the ebook that I'm doing from somebody in my industry. I'm a mom writing about parenting. I have a few ideas in mind of whom that would be. What's the best way to approach them as I know time is precious and they'll be rightfully choosy to what they put their name to. If not a preface, then maybe a review. All right. Now to start with, Melanie, if you're going to do this, I want you to be real familiar with terminology as it relates to book writing. So I'm going to reframe the, the words that you've used here. You would not have a preface written by somebody else. It, that's not the way it works. A preface is something you do. So let me just go through kind of the options here. And we'll talk about a preface, a prologue, a forward, an author's note, endorsements. Those are all some terms that are kind of floating around here. A preface is written by you, the author, and it explains to the reader, you know, how, how you came to write the book. I mean, maybe how long you've been working on it, what the reader can expect. So it's just kind of that beginning. That's a preface. Now an introduction is used to introduce the topic of the book. Why is this important? Why did you write the book? Why does this need to be told? Why are you the right person to tell it? That's an introduction. But again, that's something you do as the author. So we got the preface, the introduction. Now, these are not all necessary components, incidentally. You don't have to have any of these. But if you are going to use them, just understand clearly what they are all about. A prologue, a prologue is a term that you hear sometimes out there. That works for novels, for works of fiction. And what you do is you prepare the reader for the message in the book. So it's kind of a storytelling. It gives a little bit of the backstory. What happened before the actual book starts? That's a prologue. Okay. Okay. Now let's go to, and and you can also do an author's note. I mean, I've done that in a couple of books, just an author's note. So it wasn't really an introduction, but I wanted to kind of just frame, gee, I mean, I've done that in like the new version of 40 Days to the Work. You'll have an author's note telling them, this book started 20 years ago. I've updated it every five years. Some of the original content is the same about how to really understand how God has gifted you, but the work application has changed dramatically. So that's why I've done it. So that's my author's note. Okay. Now a foreword, and incidentally, when you ask somebody for a foreword, please, 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 spell it F-O-R-E-W-O-R-D. It's a four word. It's not forward like you're moving ahead. F-O-R-W-A-R-D, and I, I it just cringes and it it lets me know somebody's very, very inexperienced if they ask me for a forward F O R W A R D. So a forward is generally written by somebody else. So it may be somebody who's pretty well known, a respected figure, somebody who has some authority in the area of writing that you're going to do. Uh, So they, you know, usually have background or, you know, certainly some kind of relevant experience about the topic of the book. So that's a forward. All right, so so we've got all those laid out: preface, introduction, prologue, forward, author's note. Those are all things. If you're doing a little ebook, it would be unusual to have anybody else do anything. So, if you want to do a short little introduction, you could do that. But um, I typically am not going to do a forward for somebody's ebook. By implication, usually an ebook is something that may be thirty or forty pages, and it really doesn't require a forward. None of these are required, incidentally. They're just simply choices that you can make as the author. Now, an endorsement, that's something different. An endorsement is from other people, people who who do have recognizable names. I mean, uh, if somebody can get an endorsement from, you know, Michael Hyatt or Pat Flynn or John Lee Dumas or Dave Ramsey or somebody like that, you know, or Warren Buffett or Bill Gates, I mean, certainly those are reasonable. That's When you go to somebody else and get an endorsement, endorsement is usually one or two sentences, but it's that person addressing, why is this person credible? You know, why does this book need to be written? Why is this book important? How is it useful? Why is the the author qualified to speak? What unique insight that we've never heard before has this author brought to this topic? That's what you look for in endorsement. I mean, I have little forms that I, you know, provide for people if I'm going to ask for an endorsement. Of course, most of the people I ask for endorsement are pretty experienced in, in doing that. I mean, most, um, a lot of authors have done a lot of endorsements. I've done hundreds of endorsements over the years. And, um, you know, I want to honor people when they've gone through the work to get a book out there. But at the same time, I require seeing the entire manuscript, every word if I'm going to do an endorsement, because I want to know what I'm attaching my name to. It's, it's pretty important. There are people out there who will just endorse anything and they, they just figure it's free marketing for themselves to have the, their names on a book somewhere in a book somewhere. I don't view it as such. I mean, I want content that relates to what I really understand and know and believe in and things that line up with my own values. So that would be an endorsement. All right. Hey, let me, I'm going to, I'm going to wrap up with that. Golly, that's a good place to, that's a good place to to stop right there. We'll come up with our stuck in a J-O-B song here since we started started off with that today. Should I change myself or stay in this job? Well, great questions. Hey, thanks for submitting those questions. Again, you can shoot those into AskDan at 48days.com. Our quotation for today again from Victor Frankl, when we are no longer able to change the situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. Wow, that is so true. The opportunities are so cool for being able to change ourselves. I mean, we're not static. We're not written in concrete. We can change. You see a habit that you have that you want to change? Boom, change it. You know, right now, there's so many opportunities for new things, things we haven't done before. Experiment. Give yourself room, margin in your life to experiment with things that you've never done before. I mean, don't burn the bridges. Don't kill the golden goose but experiment with new things. It may open up new opportunities for you. All right. Take a breath. Wow. Great questions. Thanks for submitting those. I'm honored to see your questions every week and shoot those into ask Dan at 48days.com. We're doing a lot of fun things in the Eagles community. If you aren't there, check us out, 48dayseagles.com. But hey, thanks for being part of this audience. Thanks for sharing, reviewing the podcast, sharing it with others. And thanks for being part of this community where we know beyond the shadow of a doubt we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. It's a beautiful day Don't let it go It's gonna stay